Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Hockey in the Classroom. Good to be back, episode 20. As always, your co-host, Wally Wallacek, followed by my other co-host, Don and Big D. Tony, how are we doing? Good, good, man. It's it's so weird. Uh, you know, we're at, what, November 4th when we're recording this, and usually, you know, the season just, just got underway, and, you know, we're about a month into the NHL season, and right now there's just so much uncertainty. Uh, yeah, I was just thinking about the other day how we're already November. We should be three weeks into the season. We haven't seen college hockey since end of February, beginning of March. Um, I don't know about you guys, but for me, I need college hockey back. <laughs> yeah. I'm itching for college hockey. I'm glad college football is around, but this is the time of the year when I start itching to get back and seeing some college hockey. Yeah, you know when Western Michigan is looking bad on a Tuesday night during action on on national television, I usually know that <laughs> the weekend I, I've got a little bit of college hockey to enjoy. So yeah, and we got a right lot. Of, and you know, you're you can always flip to a good game of college hockey Friday, Saturday night. Yeah, miss miss those days. Hope hope to uh, see him soon though. Yeah, uh, but Tony, I mean, uh, we haven't been on quite some time for obvious reasons. The pandemic has really has really hit us hard uh, in the sports that we like sports that we love and just our daily lives. Um, but I'm happy to be back recording with you. Hopefully uh, in a couple of weeks here, we're going to get back on our weekly regimen here and we're going to be seeing college hockey back here uh, on the ice as soon as possible. But we had some interesting things since the last time we spoke um, that has happened. Some good, some not so good, unfortunately. Um, and I don't know if you wanted to kind of take it away and dive into what we're uh, heading into first. I guess, I mean, one cool piece is that the potential of the season beginning play um, in about two, about not even two weeks, in about a week and a half, the Atlantic. But we'll we'll touch on that a little bit. Um, I, I I think we let's start out with some stick taps though. Um, Dean Blaze, Tony Granado, Jenny Potter, and Jerry York all named to the United States Hockey Hall of Fame, all with those college hockey ties. So. Sticks taps to them, all of them, uh, well earned. Oh, definitely. I, I when I saw the article get up, get posted on Twitter, um, it was one of those things where, as a college hockey fan, you're you're kind of nodding your head, going, "Yeah, it's about time." Uh, all uh, the recipients, uh, well well deserved honor there, um, and and good for all of them. You know, stick taps as we said. Yeah, de- definitely. And I mean, you look at somebody like Tony Granado still still playing and, and, you know, his Badgers are, they've had some funny videos, you know, seeing, uh, seeing the team go from Camp Randall stadium uh, over to the coal center skating with their inline skates in full uniform and through the campus. Uh, yeah. It almost get, gave me hope that I might've had a chance to make the Wisconsin Badger hockey team as I should have went there with my inline skates and just kind of hitched a ride on that line there. Yeah, you would you would have you would have fit right in with that Dangleberry jersey. <laughs> um, no, that was a sweet video, and, and it sounds like it looks like they're not. It wasn't a one time thing. I think this is a, a normal thing for them. I don't know if it's to get the legs going before practice or if uh, if all those kids uh, their scooters ran out of gas that week. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> it it might have been worse, but it, it might have been both. Excuse me. Yeah. Worse. <laughs> um, this whole this whole year has been worse than others, but no, I, I so the the pra, not the practice facility, but there is a workout facility within Camp Randall Stadium, right in that area. So I'm guessing they probably got a little bit of a workout in, and 
threw on their gear and, and skated over, or, or maybe they're just trying to get a good video for the gram. <laughs> I mean, if they did, they succeeded. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, Tony, another stick tap here. Uh, and, and good, and good to see him back in the, in the hockey world here. Rico Blasi, a uh, former Miami head coach, a uh, longtime head coach for Miami and former player, um, back in the hockey scene over at Providence is now the new associate AD for the hockey program, both the men and women's programs. Uh, so good to see Rico back in college hockey after um, after uh, leaving Miami and, and taking last year off. Uh, it's good to see uh, the name Rico Blasi back in the NCAA. Man, it, it was it was sad to see uh, his his coaching career at that point. I, I don't want to say it's over because you never know, but to see it end, you know, kind of the way it did with the disappointment that Miami's had over the last few years. And, you know, as much as I, you know, love seeing Miami down from the Western Miami rivalry, and I use that in quotes, um, it's, it's a program you actually do want to see good. It's kind of the same as Michigan or Minnesota or any of those. Yeah. And I mean, Rico, you know, spent got oh, what close to 20 plus years or something like that uh, with that program um, as a player, and as a head coach, and I mean, uh, that program ha- has a lot of players in the NHL, a lot of players in the AHL. Uh, I mean, from a recruiting standpoint, from getting these kids ready to, to the pros, um, R- Rico did a hell of a job. You got to think, though, once the CCHA kind of faulted a little bit and Miami made the jump to the NCHC, there was more competition and recruitment. I think that kind of hurt Miami's chances when you're recruiting now up against North Dakota, Denver, Duluth. And I'm not trying to take away from the CCHA as well. You know, we had Michigan, Michigan State um, at the peak of their playing times. Um, you know, Western Michigan was was striving in um, Notre Dame. Uh, so the CCHA, you know, recruited and, and played well. Um, a lot more teams in the CCHA than there was in the NCHC. Um, but that's where you kind of saw the, t- the downturn a little bit for Miami um, as far as, uh, you know, performance on the ice and, and a little bit of the recruitment factor. I, you know, you didn't see um, it, the last couple seasons in Austin Zarnick or Riley Barber or, or Riley Smith lighting up the lamp ever, uh, each weekend. Um, so, you know, it, I agree, you know, it's from a, from a Western alum <laughs> – you're like, oh man, Rico's out. So at least we got Miami. But you know, for a, for a guy who's had a stellar coaching career, and, and like you said, Tommy, he's still a young guy. I don't think he's going to be out of coach. You know, I think he'll be coaching again sometime in the future. Um, but you know, it was it was definitely uh, sad to see him out of college hockey last year. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, one of the things you know, I was, I was kind of trying to wrap my brain about around like what happened at Miami. Did it just was it Rico's style that just wasn't playing to the kids. One of my thoughts though, is, you know, leaving the CCHA might've been one of the worst things for them and not, and I don't want to say, I want to rephrase that. I think the CCHA folding was one of the worst things from them for them. I think, you know, they got a lot of those Michigan kids and, you know, there's that selling point when, you know, you're going down to Oxford, Ohio, and you know, you're, you're recruiting them to say, you're going to play, you're going to play against Western Michigan. You're going to play against Fair State. You're going to play against Michigan, Michigan State. You're going to play against Lake Superior State, Northern Michigan. So if you're a Michigan kid, you know, for pretty much every road game, and even Columbus isn't far from Detroit where most of those kids come from, your family gets to see you play. So I wonder how much of a change that is where, okay, 
one week in a year, you're going to get the opportunity to play in Kalamazoo. But other than that, everything's going to be across Lake Michigan. Uh, yeah. And, you know, Tony, um, when, when the CCHA fault, you know, faulted, I had a hard time wrapping my head around that as well. Uh, just for the fact that you brought up, you know, you really look at the NCHC and in such a dominant conference now, it's really built into what college hockey is. Um, and I'm a huge fan of the NCHC now. But when, but when you don't know what you're getting at uh, going into it, I had these kind of thoughts as, you know, does Western and Miami really want to spend half their season always going to, you know, Minnesota, Colorado to play majority in North Dakota and play majority of the teams that they're, they're all at least relatively closer together. And, and Miami's got the furthest commute and it's, you know, good point. I mean, the uh, CCHA there, the playoffs and the championship was played at the old Joe in Detroit all the schools minus the Alaska schools, unfortunately, but they're kind of in their own realm at, regardless of what conference they play in. Um, they were all relatively close, close together. Um, so it's like good, you know, good call out there, you know, the family and friends aspect. Um, you, you don't always have to go to a home game to watch your friend or your son or whomever play uh, division one college hockey game. Um, and it's different with, especially for Miami when you're in the NCHC and you're, and you're traveling half the season, multiple state borders over. And so, you know, there's a good shout out, good call out there. And I, and I know people could make the same argument for Western, but I think the difference there is, and you know, you look, I, I think it was college hockey news or I, I, maybe it was something else, but it was some hockey college hockey production, had a had a map out and it basically said where like who the best player from each state was uh how many players from each state or were were in college hockey and to no shock it was michigan minnesota and massachusetts three m's with the highest and that's where i think you look at you know a situation where western still gets a ton of michigan kids they still get a lot of kids and they seem to be doing really well with that Muskegon to, to Kalamazoo pipeline recently. Um, but it's a lot easier if you're, if you're from the Metro Detroit area to, all right, two, two hour drive to Kalamazoo compared to that, you know, four plus hour drive down to Oxford. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just one of those things where Oxford's kind of in its like own little bubble, essentially down in Ohio, right on the border. Um, and it's really, I mean, uh, unless you're talking about like maybe Columbus, Ohio, where you could go play Ohio State or even, you know, maybe try to, you know, make the commute to Bowling Green. It, you're really traveling if you're Miami a lot, a couple hours, more than a couple hours, most of the time throughout the season, unless it's a home game or a home series. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, in, in kind of like comparison, co com uh, comparing them a little bit to when Rico was there, Rico had this program built at the highest level it could possibly be. I mean, they were fighting for national championships towards, you know, 2005 through at least 2011, 2012. I mean, they were at, they were at the pinnacle of college hockey and Rico had built that program up to where it was needed to be. It, so when you said the, the name Rico Blasi, you associated that with Miami hockey, the kind of the same way with, North Dakota at the time was um, Hackstall. You said Hackstall, you knew North Dakota. Or uh, Dean Blaze, you, you knew that was North Dakota, uh, essentially the same way. So 
I, I had I worried at once Rico left. Did they take a lot of recruitment out of there from Miami because now you don't have the big nameplate Rico Blasi that's associated with Miami? So um, we'll see how that turns out for that program. I, I know this last year before the season was cut short, they were making a lot of big strides towards the end of the season. They were they were turning it around. Coach Bergeron's got a good program down there. Um, he's getting the recruitment, the recruits that will fit his style of play for coaching. Um, so I, do I think we'll have to see Miami again competing at a high level very soon? I think we will. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And, and the culture they have there with the brotherhood is unreal. Yeah, I agree. Um, and Tony, before we start really diving into everything here, um, you know, like I said early on, you know, we some of this is good news and some of this is unfortunate news. Um, the unfortunate news, um, if no one's heard yet, um, Travis Roy, a uh, former BU player, um, passed away a few days ago um, from what I'm reading is complications through his spinal injury. Uh, for the people that don't know, Travis Roy, incredible story. ESPN did a great piece on him a few years back or maybe even even longer. Um, first 11 seconds in his first ever college hockey shift at BU, crashed headfirst into the boards um, and paralyzed um, from a spinal injury. Uh, one of the most unfortunate um, things that could happen, I think, in the sport history. Um, such a great guy um, from what I've read and what I've uh, seen on TV. Um, and ever since his injury, um, was one of the biggest advocates for spinal research. Um, and so it's unfortunate to, um, to read that he passed away at the age of 45 this past week. So our thoughts and prayers are with him, his fan, uh, friends and family. Yeah, I, I mean, for someone who, you know, has obviously, like you said, career went shut short or got cut short, um, you know, he's brought so much to the game of hockey, like you said, with the advocacy. And um, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, his number is retired at BU. So it is. Um, yep. yep. So just an incredible story. And he's somebody that we miss not only in the hockey community, but in in this world in general. Yeah, no, definitely. Um. Tony, though, we have a uh, we got, a, you know, different things are happening in college hockey as far as the season's going. But before we jump into that, do we have any other kind of uh, news that we want to cover here? Yeah, I mean, I think it's still kind of on that, you know, kind of somber, but on a different type of somber note. Um, what was it? Mitchell? Was it Mitchell Miller? Yeah, um, Mitchell Miller. Uh, uh, he was with North Dakota. He was a he was a draft pick of the Arizona Coyotes. No longer neither. Um, he had some instances where he had bullied and assaulted a African American deve developmentally disabled classmate when he was in eighth grade. Um, you know that's definitely you know it's 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 especially in the world today. You know with everything going on and and I mean that's just not cool. Um, I've, I've always been a believer in giving people second chances. I've always been a believer in, you know, when, you know, you make, you make mistakes when you're young, you're young and you're stupid and you can grow from them. But, you know, I, I also subscribe to this when you're in eighth grade, I think you're old enough to not bully someone that is mentally um, disabled. Yeah, no, I agree. This It's an unfortunate event for a kid who kind of had the world in, in the palm of his hand. You're an NHL draft pick. 
you're going to one of the most prestigious college hockey programs and, and universities in the country. Uh, and, and it's all taken away from you in a blink of an eye for, for stuff that really can be avoided and, and, you know, just not occur. I mean, we, we, we don't need the, this stuff in the world, especially, you know, from what we've seen, especially this past year. Um, do I agree in, in second chances? Of course I do. Um, and, you know, no one's perfect here. Um, so do I think we'll see, you know, uh, Mitchell Miller uh, in the rink again at, at the college level? I think we will. Uh, but, you know, it's like, you know, it's like you said, Tony, we, he's got to work out some of the stuff that, you know, has that's cost him really a bright future um, that he had because uh, it's just stuff that, again, you, this the stuff that we don't need in the world and stuff that can be obviously avoided. Um, uh, so, you know, I agree. It's, it's unfortunate news for, uh, for really everything that's happened. And, you know, the, the way I look at it, you know, sports are a privilege to play. They're not a, they're not a right, you know, so. No, I, um, I agree with you. And, and I think North Dakota and uh, the Arizona Coyotes, I think they've, they've taken the, the proper steps in handling this. Um, they're not fully blowing this out of, you know, exposing him or really putting, you know, a negative connotation to, to the name Mitchell Miller. And, and neither are we here. We're not here to slander him. Um, you know, I think he'll bounce back from this. I hope he does. Um, I'm, you know, I don't know this, the kid personally, but you got to believe and have faith that, you know, there's a good person in that, in that guy. Um, and that we'll see him back on the ice very soon. Um, you know, and see kind of, you know, why, why Arizona and North Dakota wanted him to play on their teams, uh, so badly before this happened. Yep. Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, as far as, you know, as far as the news goes, um, not really a lot of new headline stuff, but you kind of want to jump into, I guess there is something newsworthy. We were talking about this earlier and, you know, the Mitchell, Mitchell Miller piece brings up um, a good, I guess, transition. We had 65 college hockey players selected in the NHL draft. Yeah. Uh, a big number too. I, I would think 65 and, you know, the number keeps going up in the NHL um, as far as college players in general. Um, you know, I, I Tony, I feel like this is we've we talked about this for so long back when we were in college. You know, we we've always had the conversation. You know, does college hockey get the the praise and rep that it deserves when these kids get to the NHL? Um, I think maybe ten years ago, I would have said no. I don't think we the college hockey players get enough praise and uh, respect compared to you know, especially when you have like kids like Connor McDavid. Um, you know, coming out of the OHL and, and, you know, Aaron Ekblad and stuff like that. Those kids made the jump straight from there to the NHL versus going to college for one season, like a Jack Eichel um, or going there for four seasons, three seasons, which has kind of been the trend a lot lately. Like, like uh, for, you know, (laughs) for lack of a better uh, example, and to sound semi-biased, Danny DeKaiser, three years at Western, who uh, didn't get drafted and became one of the most highly recruited uh, players once his junior season, junior season ended. So, um, but I think college has kind of really made that shift to show that these coaches that are at the college ranks can get these kids prepared for the professional ranks um, in, in the manner of off the ice and on the ice. And I think, 
seeing more and more kids get drafted and they're electing to go play at college. Um, I think that's a huge, huge uh, thing to, to celebrate here um, as far as uh, college hockey and the NHL draft. And, you know, I may be a little biased, you know, we're, my profession being around the world of college, but I think it says something too, you know, you can, you can go to play major juniors, make a little bit of money, but really not much money live with a billet family have, and just play hockey nonstop. But how many of those kids make it to the NHL and have long careers? Um, and then at that point really don't have marketable traits that they can, you know, go out into the working world where you go, you go to college and say hockey doesn't plan out, pan out. You have a degree. You know, I look, I look at somebody like Brett Beebe, you know, Brett Beebe goes to, to Western and, you know, has, probably a great experience playing hockey there, but walks out with a degree um, and now is, you know, doing really great things both within hockey and at the youth level, but, you know, also in the real estate game in Southern California. So I think that's just right there. One example of, you know, the power of college hockey, but I think not only that, I think these kids are getting an understanding of, Oh shoot. College is a lot of fun. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I would agree. <laughs> I can go get hammered with my boys. There's a lot of pretty girls on the campus. Um, let's see. Oh, like in a case of Wisconsin. All right, I'm gonna go jump around at the end of the third quarter at Camp Randall Stadium. I mean, getting that experience. I mean, I can tell you what. I'm I'm glad I had my college experience. Uh, yeah. No, I agree. Uh, and I. I mean, obviously, we're going to be biased, right? Because we're a college hockey podcast. We wanted to see as much college hockey kids get drafted as possible. But it's for, you know, it's not just to be completely selfish here that we want them just to go play college and say, screw the OHL or wherever. Uh, but we, I, I truly believe that um, the coaches that we have in the staff we have in college hockey from all the hockey conferences and at the independent level, um, I, they do such an outstanding job with these kids, turning them into uh, full functioning adults and professionals, uh, whether it's at the NHL level, the AHL, or they're overseas overplaying in the KHL, Europe. Uh, these guys get them ready um, for the next level and not, not just on the ice, but off the ice too. And then it's like you said, I mean, all the perks that just come with it. I mean, you can't, you can't, you cannot tell me you don't have fun when you're on a college campus as a student. So um, so I mean, yeah, no, it's, it's 65 players drafted this year in the NHL draft going to college just so far. Um, uh, we could possibly be seeing a couple of them make the jump to the professional level. Um, we'll see how that goes later on. Um, but, it, but it's good to see, I, I'm, I'm happy to keep seeing that number go up at the draft level. And I'm happy to keep seeing that the NHL number is going up as far as how many players, um, are playing that did play at the college level, whether it was for one season or four. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I want to give a, give a shout out here. Jake Sanderson, uh, a freshman defenseman from North Dakota was drafted five overall by Ottawa. Um, Dylan Holloway, a sophomore forward for Wisconsin drafted 14th overall by Edmonton. And then Brendan Brisson, a freshman forward from Michigan was drafted 29th overall by Vegas. So, a nice representation, and, and you're going to like this one. I'm, I'm going a little bit deeper into the second round, but Jan Kunetsev, a sophomore defenseman from your favorite hockey East school, drafted 50 over, 50th overall to Calgary, and that's a defenseman from UConn. So. 
Hey, I was high. My my guys at UConn last year, they they you were, they, they got it done for me. Okay, so the back back off. The the only the only people that believed in UConn hockey last year were were, were people within the state of Connecticut, the players, their parents and families. And Matt Walsh. Yeah, damn right. And if there was, they were making a push for the playoffs. I'm telling you, they they were gonna make a run for hockey. East. So <laughs> if, if if hockey East could get it together, which we'll we'll cover that shortly, you know, watch out for UConn Huskies. I know you guys can do it. Uh, <laughs> no, but uh, going back to uh, Jake Sanderson, five, five overall. Uh, per, you know, right now he's he's on the North Dakota roster. Um, it, when I look at the fifth overall pick, for usually first round, you, you're going to consider making the jump to the professional level. Usually, maybe outside the top ten, you're you're really more leaning towards maybe I'll spend one year at least in college, make you know develop a little bit, um, especially on an off the ice um, perspective. You know, really build up in the gym with the lifting weights, getting you know the agility um, and endurance um, built up. Um, but you know within the top 10, especially now you're looking at the top five with Sanderson, you know, does he, does he trust Bradbury to give him that at least a one year uh, to, to get him NHL ready, which I think he already is there, but we'll, you know, we'll see if he stays or if he wants to make the jump. You know, it's also another situation too. the teams that are drafting him. Do they have spots for him ready to go? Or does he say, well, do I chill at North Dakota for a year, try to win a national championship you know, hopefully the playoffs aren't canceled in 2021 um, and and then make the jump. So, you know, we'll keep an eye on Jake Sanderson. As far as the season goes, though, he's on the roster. That's um, good news for North Dakota, bad news for every NCHC team that's out there because he's a, he's a star to be reckoned with, um, and he's going to be tough to play against. And, you know, uh, right now, I, I think North – I don't think – I mean, you see it within in the USCHO poll. You see it. You know, talking to Brad Schlossman a couple weeks or a couple like what that's a couple months ago now, but um, you know, and just following North Dakota hockey right now, they're the odds-on favorite to to win the national championship. They're the preseason number one. Um, they received twenty-eight first-place votes. Um, so uh, yeah, I think you know North Dakota. You know, getting Jake Sanderson in. Um, you know, with Kawaguchi coming back and and what they're returning this team has, has some unfinished business from being, you know, being a team that probably would have been a national championship team or pretty damn close to it. Yeah. I mean, I think we talked about it last year, Tony, that North Dakota was one of the best teams, if not the best team last year, especially heading down the stretch into the playoffs. There were a lot of good teams that could have really knocked them off. Um, so I'm not going to say that I thought North Dakota was the, the uh, you know, clear favorite to win it because we saw a lot of good teams last year playing. And, you know, when we get to the playoffs in college hockey, you know, one and done. And we've seen a lot of upsets over the last couple of years, uh, number one teams that go out right away. So I'm not going to say that I thought North Dakota was the clear favorite here, but they had a really good shot because of that talent they had on the ice. <clears throat> and it started from the goaltending to the defense all the way up to the forwards. And you mentioned it, Kyle Gucci coming back for a senior year, who I thought could have easily been – um, the Hobie Baker last year um, was just lighting the lamp Friday, Saturday night, every week. I mean, the kid didn't have a bad weekend. I never saw it, never read it. Uh, the kid knows how to flat out play, and he has gotten better each year. 
Um, so North Dakota getting him back for one more year to make a run for a national championship, and now you're throwing Jake Sanderson on the back end here. Uh, with all the talent in between, uh, Bradbury's got one hell of a team again sitting in front of him to make a run for it. Um, so, like I said, if this season can can go to its completion towards the end, um, North Dakota, I, I mean, right now I 100% would say, yeah, you're the number one team going into this preseason. And I think they got a great, great chance of making a very long run here. Um, especially even too, I mean, I, and I'm not trying to downplay the NCHC, the other teams. I think that's going to be a tough conference to play it, but North, North Dakota set up very well. The experts agree with you too. Um, and I, I use experts very loosely. Um, cause right now Western Michigan's preseason 18 and with the amount of guys they lost, they should not be ranked in my mind. But that being said, um, right now, three of the top five teams in the USCHO preseason poll. Are, are from the NCHC. North Dakota's at one. Duluth is at three. Denver's at five. If you want to get down a little bit further, um, Western is at 18. Um, so you're seeing some St. Cloud's receiving votes. Omaha's receiving votes. Um, so again, it's going to be another very, very competitive year. But I, I, you know, this is one of those years that I think you're going to see North Dakota, Duluth, and Denver, really the traditional three, what, big powers in the NCHC duking it out um i I do want to add though um you know kind of rounding out the top 10 i I think it's worth noting boston college not surprising is at two um minnesota states at four they're they're going to have another really good season um despite losing some good players last year cornell comes in at six umass amherst is at seven clarkson's at eight penn state's at nine and then ohio state's at ten so yeah, and, and Tony, I mean, just a circle, because we're on the topic of the NCHC, um, and, and we were just talking about um, Sanderson. I, you know, I'm reading real quickly here. Uh, this is a huge line, in my opinion, here for North Dakota. North Dakota, including Sanderson, had seven-plus freshmen drafted this year between round two and seven, with Sanderson being the only one of the first round. Uh, that's a huge, huge number. Um, and... Uh, with multiple, multiple players uh, drafted through the rounds two through seven that are also on Denver, Duluth as well. So a lot of, a lot of freshman talent coming into the NCHC t- uh, with the top three teams um, for that too. So, uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, we know Sanderson's going to be on the ice. Uh, we'll see. We'll see if a lot of these other freshmen that got drafted hit the ice this year. Um, I think there's been a trend, especially in the NCHC, where we do see a lot of freshmen get get the early nods and get a lot of playing time. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see how much freshman talent hits the ice, especially in the NCHC this year. Yeah, and the NCHC, Hockey East, and, and Big Ten always seem to have a, a ton of freshman talent. Yeah, and I mean, Tony, let's just stick on to the NCHC because we're talking about them now, um, you know, for the people that don't know, the NCHC is planning on getting their season started here shortly, um, and they're going to do it a little differently, I think, than the rest of the college hockey world right now. Um, and they're kind of taking a page out of the NHL, and they're going to go to a bubble system, um, which I think is kind of intriguing. Um, I feel like if you're going to really try to like minimize the whole COVID aspect of this, Tony, uh, the bubble isn't a terrible idea. It, you know, the reason I say this, too, is because – most of the college hockey conferences right now are just focusing on conference only scheduling. 
um, to make sure we get a season in play, which is understandable. Football is kind of doing the same thing right now, and it seems to be pretty much working minus, you know, we're seeing a lot of COVID positive tests come out, you know, left and right. Um, and I, I think football, though, is a, is a tough one to, to compare to, given that, yeah. you know, these rosters are 100, 100 student athletes. So I agree. All of a sudden, you would get one guy, and there's that trickle-down effect, and all of a sudden, before you know it, you cancel two straight games, and you have 26 guys with COVID. Yeah, no, I agree. So, um, so I'm, in, I'm intrigued um, to see how this plays out for the NCHC. Um, I don't think it's a terrible idea. I mean, if you were really trying to get hockey back in the swing of things and we're concerned, obviously, with the pandemic, you know, being around us, uh, the bubble worked extremely well for the NHL. Uh, not a, I, as far as I could read, I didn't see one positive test ever get released. Um, so as long as the protocols are in place, which I think they're pretty much going to mirror how the NHL did it for the playoffs, um, I see a full NCHC season as far as conference play. Um, now, whether they expand this or will let schools um, travel maybe later in the year for potentially a couple non-conference games, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. I, it doesn't sound like that's going to be plausible, especially if we're going to go later into the year. Um, so we'll see how it plays out with the bubble. I, it's from a, Just from a pandemic standpoint, I think this is the – the way to keep the numbers down from to a minimum to zero. Um, so we'll see, like I said, how it goes. Um, but, you know, we have a lot of, you know, you, Tony, you mentioned that we think that it's going to be a little top heavy this year in the NCHC. Uh, I'm a little different on that. I, I agree. North Dakota, Denver and Duluth, they're going to be the top three dogs. But they are every year. Western lost the most seniors, I think out of any school last year, they have a lot of, good talent in front of them with a lot of good freshmen coming in Colorado college didn't lose a lot, but what they did lose were big pieces that were there for a while, but they've reported that they got a couple guys coming in. Um, I don't have names right now that can really jump in and fill the gaps um, that they lost last year. And then we know about Miami. We talked about it earlier. Bergeron got something going towards the end of last year that they lost a couple Big time seniors, obviously the graduation moving on um, to the professional level and so so forth. But you know, Bergeron's got something turning around in, in Oxford, and I, and I think Miami will will kind of surprise us this year a little bit. Um, so I'm intrigued to see get you know get the NCHC teams on the ice playing against one another. Uh, you know, we, we know this too, Tony, that when it comes to the all these teams playing one another, it's it's always a, a good game. I mean. Uh, with all the talent we we get out of this conference, um, so I don't know if it's going to be comp- as top heavy as maybe others are predicting. I, I really do think that uh, Colorado College, Miami, or Western can really make a difference here um, and kind of keep the conference at bay a little bit. Um, the only team that I would be kind of concerned about, as far as really not pulling their weight, is Nebraska Omaha. I'm just I haven't read much on what's going on with their program as far as recruitment and what they've lost. Uh, but we know, Tony, the last couple of years, Omaha just hasn't been the team that we've really known and seen uh, earlier in the, like, you know, between 2010 and 2015 where, where they were really lights out, um, lighting the lamp. And same with kind of St. Cloud State. So um, it'll be intriguing to see how those two end up panning out uh, as far as, you know, where they end up in, in, the, in the standings here uh, once we get the season going. 
And, you know, at the end of the day, those five teams at the, that I would say are kind of, you know, in that second tier, I guess, not within those, those big, the big three this year that I see them are, are five teams that would probably, you know, be very, very competitive. And at the top, if you, if you put them in the WCHA. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree with that 100%. Um, um, but you know, but, um, just when it comes to like the NCHC, I just feel like, and we've seen it really in the couple of years past, even like <clears throat> the teams that don't perform extremely well during the, you know, throughout the regular season, we get towards the playoffs. We saw Colorado college knock out Western two years ago, uh, knock them out of the playoffs. And then well, we saw them, I think a year later, uh, come back into Kalamazoo and knock them off again. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you, yeah, if I'm North Dakota and I'm going to play CC, I'm not. You can't take them lightly um, because they're looking to you know end your season at some point, and 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 whether CC's in the playoffs or not, you know it's it's really just a win win for them, <laughs> and and it's almost like a win lose for North Dakota. You win, yeah, you get to move on, or or you know you continue building up your um, win loss record, um, but if you lose, <laughs> you're you're dropping significantly. And, you know, especially when we get towards the playoffs, you don't want to be seated really in the middle there. You really want the top spots for that first round bye. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, and, I mean, that's that's the thing. NCHC is one of those conferences. There's not an off week. No, I agree. I agree with that. I, we've talked about that last year a lot, too. I mean, it's it's no different this year. I, I would like I would be completely shocked, and I would be eating my words here, too, um, if if North Dakota – and maybe Denver or Duluth really just end up running away with this conference. Then I would just kind of be kind of in awe and shocked that they just out recruited and outplayed the rest of the teams. I don't think it's going to happen, but I mean, you know, in, in hockey, anything could happen, but we have a lot of great coaches in the NCHC, a lot of great coaches. So like I said, I, I think there's going to be a lot of up and down weekends, a lot of splits this year. Yeah. And I mean, like, like there is, like there definitely is, you know, every, every single year. Um, But it's, it's going to be interesting. I believe um, what there's, what are they saying after Christmas, there's going to essentially be, you know, two divisions. Yes. So that's, that's going to be interesting. and can, uh, could potentially lend for some good opportunities from, some other teams, but, you know, we've talked a lot about the NCHC and I know between the two of us, we could go on, you know, for hours and for days talking about the conference because we're so familiar with it, but another conference that, you know, is kind of similar in how they are operating. They're not, you know, they're not doing a bubble per se, but the Atlantic is, is kind of doing things similar. They, they've got the pods, um, so they have the Eastern scheduling pod and they have the Western scheduling pod. Um, there's going to be no crossover games except for Air Force who's going to play both teams because they're way out in, you know, in uh, Colorado Springs. Uh, and, and the thing, the cool, the good thing is, you know, the academies have been on lockdown, whether that be West Point, whether that be in Annapolis, whether that be the Air Force Academy, they've been on lockdown. I, I was, I was talking to somebody the other day and apparently I mean, you're not, they all aren't even having to wear masks because it's, it's so much on lockdown. They're not leaving the campus. Mm -hmm. There's, there's no, you know, contamination or cross-contamination 
going on. But what's going to be interesting is with those flights, them going from from Colorado out to the east east side. Um, now the east the eastern scheduling pod will be AIC Army Bentley Holy Cross and Sacred Heart. Holy shit. Um, I mean, when you're looking at it, you have army in there, you have AIC, you have sacred heart. That's going to be such a gauntlet. And then you throw in those crossover games with air force. Uh, the Western pod is going to be Canisius, Mercyhurst, Niagara, Robert Morris, RIT. I mean, if you're Robert Morris or RIT, you've got to be licking your lips. Yeah, I know. I agree. And, and, um, air force been one of those teams, Tony, last year where they really kind of, I don't want to say let me down. They're almost like they're my UConn. Team. I kept picking them every week, thinking they would pull something out, and they just kept splitting every weekend. Um, but no, I agree. I, with the pod system here is going to be intriguing. You know, similar to the bubble system. So it it almost kind of gives me this like Big Ten football uh, vibe. Like, did did you pan out and get get the luck luck of the draw being in one side of the conference or the other side of the conference? A little different now in Big Ten college football because. Um, you know, Wisconsin and Minnesota and stuff like that have gotten, you know, gotten a lot better. But, um, back to hockey, um, you know, um, AIC, Army last year, Sacred Heart, uh, those three teams were playing outstanding hockey really from the start towards the end before the season got cut short. And I know we kind of already figured out, I believe, Tony, if I'm not mistaken, AIC, I think, had the upper hand before the playoffs were starting. I think they were the number one team, if I'm not mistaken, with Sacred Heart just right under them. And Army – Yeah, and, and they were hot yeah. too. They had a hot second. And, and Army wasn't – Army was making a late, late season surge to kind of get themselves into the top three there. So if those three are in the same pod, that's going to be, you know, similar to the NCHC where it, there, won't, there won't be really an off weekend, at least between those three. And I think Air Force can kind of hold their own. If, if Air Force can just build on what they did last year, you know, take away the, 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 a lot of the splits and whatever. And the, the splits were always close games too, one to two goals, a, lot, a couple overtimes. Uh, take that and you got to convert those into some wins. I think Air Force, even though they're going to be crossing left and right, um, or East and West, I should say, I think Air Force can really kind of give themselves a chance here um, and take advantage of the scheduling um, for for them to kind of get them up in the in the standings here. And, and then Robert Morris, Tony, I, I just don't know how I feel about them. Last year, they were one of the hottest starts in college hockey. And then we got to the, towards the end of December and it's like, what happened? What the hell happened to them? They just fell apart. They couldn't contend with anybody. Um, I, and it they didn't have, as far as I remember, many injuries. It was almost like they just kind of like started giving up. I, I don't, I didn't understand it. Um, so, so I'm hoping Robert Morris is not going to kind of pull that same shit they did last year. I'm hoping Robert Morris, if they're going to step on the gas pedal, you got to keep it going. Yeah, yeah, that was they, they were kind of falling apart. But hopefully for them, you know, being in a in a in a division or a pod with Canisius and Mercyhurst will help them get some yeah. wins. Um, so we, we've talked about on earlier podcasts, you know, Long Island University and both St. Thomas um, up in Minnesota kind of making that, that jump. St. Thomas is going to be coming next year. Um, but Long Island starting this year and similar to Arizona State, they've leached onto a conference. Uh, the Atlantic will have them scheduling games against Atlantic teams. However, the games will not count towards conference standings. Uh, they will be able to – they'll be playing two games versus each team 
and they'll play four games versus Air Force. So um, it'll be nice for LIU to get some games in this year. Well, and Tony, it's kind of a good segue here. You know, you bring that up that they're kind of, and I'm, I'm throwing this in quotes, leeching onto the, to the Atlantic because, I mean, as an independent school in the world of a pandemic, I mean, this is, it's you know, they, had, they needed that. <laughs> they needed to get to a conference. Whether they end up in the Atlantic moving forward or they end up somewhere else this year, they needed to be in a conference. Uh, and good for them that they're in the Atlantic hockey and they're going to get a schedule. It's going to be awesome to see see them in action right out the gate. But nice little segue to Arizona State, um, also independent. They needed to get into a conference. Big Ten looks like that they're going to absorb Arizona State, at least for this season, um, which will be – I think this is going to be really intriguing, Tony, to see Arizona State in the mix with the Big Ten schools. I love it for all elements except for one, and that's travel. Yeah. Um, but, no, I, overall, I think, I, you know, with the way they've been growing, how well they've been playing recently, um, you know, I think naturally you can kind of look at it as they're one of those power conferences within all other sports, being in the Pac-12, and they just kind of fit in with the Big Ten pretty well in that, in that regard. Um, but outside the travel, I think it's great. You know, I, I'm a believer that you shouldn't have less than eight teams in your conference. So, yeah, I agree um, with that. I'm excited. Um, and we know the Big Ten is eventually going to get U of I anyways. I know that's been put on a little bit of a halt because of the pandemic, which is unfortunate. I was excited to see U of I, this, uh, at least if not this year, next year, get into the mix here. Um, but w- for me, Tony, with Arizona State, we I mean, we we've highlighted for most of last year and it's it's gone unnoticed. Arizona State's talent has just gotten better and better since they've entered the Division One world. But my favorite storyline is the fact that Penn State and Arizona State, two club teams, they both end up making the jump within about two years of each other, are now going to be in the same conference. And Penn State and Arizona State have kind of taken similar stories. I mean, they've gone from club to, to D1, and it wasn't like, oh, you know, we're the school now you just kick the shit out of us you get your free two wins and you know have a nice day we'll see you in four weeks from now when we play you at your school um penn state and arizona state have played extremely well out the gate penn state and arizona state have have made arguments to be top 10 nationally ranked teams um and make pot- potential runs for a national championship. I thought last year we could have seen a Penn State Arizona State team make a deep run into the, into the Frozen Four until the pandemic hit. So it was unfortunate. So you throw Arizona State in the mix with Penn State, who's playing extremely well. Ohio State, who is playing extremely well. And then we saw last year Michigan and, Minis- and Michigan State come out of kind of like the blue here at the end of the season and made big pushes. The only School I worry about, Tony, Wisconsin. We talked about a lot last year. Wisconsin needs to find defense and goaltending this year. We cannot rely on Cole Caulfield and that offense. They lost Keandre Miller, one of the best defensemen in college hockey last year. That was no surprise to see him go off to the Rangers, stick taps for him. Um, uh, you know, it's good for him that he made the jump. He deserves it. Wisconsin needs to find goaltending and defense this year to to really kind of stay at bay in the Big Ten. If they don't, they're going to suffer like they did last year where they will be at the at bottom of the standings. That, 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 that's going to be tough. Yeah, and the Big Ten's only gotten better with, you know, Minnesota getting a year older. I think Michigan's going to be a lot better, a much improved team. Um, you know, adding, adding to the mix Arizona State. However, 
when you said one of the most interesting stories to you this off season, I thought you were going to say the fact that Austin Lemieux retired from hockey to pursue a professional golf career. <laughs> no, but but I'm never opposed to that. I'm never opposed to that because <laughs> you can make a lot. You can make a lot more money there. Yeah, yeah, you can make a decent amount of golf. Believe me, I'm maybe I'm potentially trying to do that myself. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but, but I mean, Tony, we, we talked about it last year. Tony Granado, uh, was he on the bubble last year? Did we think he was going to be fired last year? I kind of held off. I said, I don't think that you fire him midseason last year, but I think he needs to be on the bubble as far as this season. You know, he's he hasn't had that stellar season yet at Wisconsin. He's had good teams, and, and then last year he has, he did, they just weren't a good team. I'm just going to flat out say it. They have good talents, but he, they couldn't put it together last year. And for Tony Granado's sake, I, you've got to make a big push this year in the Big Ten um, with the talent you got. I mean, he recruits fairly well to not perform well. So it, it, it's really just we got to get the pieces fitting together um, and really kind of take a little bit of pressure off Cole Caulfield because he cannot do it Friday, Saturday night f- for the next three months. The kid lights the lamp like no other, but he cannot do it. And I'm I'm still a little down believer and like I don't think Cole Caulfield plays the greatest defense right now. I think he's kind of one sided. If if he kind of starts switching a little bit or not switching, but he starts building up that defensive play a little bit, I think he becomes one uh, one of the best well rounded players in college hockey this year. Um, but like I said, you can't rely on one player, especially in the Big Ten. The the, the teams that are in the Big Ten are just getting stronger and stronger by the day. And you mentioned it, Minnesota, Michigan State, Michigan. Last year, all proved that towards the end of the year. Um, Notre Dame lost Cal Morris this year. They're one of the best goaltenders in the Big Ten and in non-college hockey. But Notre Dame has been able to fill in the gaps when they lose big players. We've seen it year in, year out. Jeff Jackson does a hell of a job in South Bend. Um, and you got to believe he's going to do it again this year. So Notre Dame, don't write them off right away just because they lost some big names. And uh, but for me right now, and I know, Tony, we're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks. We'll really dive into the conferences. But Penn State right now, you got to be kind of sitting pretty being, uh, you know, at the top. But you you're not far from a lot of the other schools. But if I'm Wisconsin, you're looking straight up going, I'm going to get up there. Just Granado's got to find it. And they've got the talent to certainly do it. No, they do. I agree 100 percent. And before we jump out of the Big Ten, too, I guess we should mention um, the real reason we're talking about Big Ten hockey, they're looking at a potential uh, season start uh, November 13th, which is actually uh, next Friday. I don't know if that's going to potentially happen, so they're looking towards more the end of November as well as possibly. 24-game um, league game season. They are not doing a pod bubble system, so they will be traveling. Um, so we'll see how that works out for the Big Ten um, in in the pandemic era that we're in. Um, and they already have announced, though, that the Big Ten tournament, playoff tournament, will be a single elimination tournament that they're aiming for to hopefully have in March, provided we don't have major pandemic issues uh, arise by then. Yeah, and, and who knows where the hell we'll be come March. Uh, yeah, I mean, who <laughs> get me to January when there's still hockey, and then, and then I'll think about March. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, Tony, just switch switch gears here a little bit. Um, is, you know, talking about how the scheduling, the WCHA seems to be the one of the only conferences to really kind of have a schedule set in place, um, and and that's right now they're looking at a January start of an eighteen game league schedule. Um, I believe their schedule actually has been released. 
Um, the only two teams that they've mentioned that will play out of conference for a few weekends is uh, Huntsville and Bowling Green. I, and I have to believe that's just from a travel perspective of what's closer to them uh, versus the rest of WCHA. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but, Tony, I don't have a lot on the WCHA. I, I think I think this is, again, going to be a top-heavy conference like we saw last year. Um, you know, we're going to see your uh, Northern Michigans, um, you know, and so forth do extremely well. I think Bowling Green um, kind of fell off the rails a little bit. I, I was really high on them early on last year. I, I still think that they're one of the more better defensive teams in college hockey, not offensive teams. I think they're they really – put you on the body, really put you up against the boards. They'll really make you earn, earn your, your wins. If you do beat Bowling Green, um, I think Bowling Green could be a contender this year. They just got to find the offense a little bit more consistent this year. Um, but I, again, like I said, I think this is still going to be a, a little bit of a top heavy conference when you have Bemidji state and uh, Minnesota state who, who really c- kind of were the top two teams last year and really Northern Michigan, I think was the only one that could really sort of contend with them. Yeah. And that wasn't even every week. No, I agree. And Michigan tech really kind of threw in their you know, hat in the ring every once in a while, Northern Michigan. So, uh, and Northern wasn't, they weren't going to win the WCHA last year, but they were, they were, they were at least a top, top four team in that conference. But again, I think that's a, that's a top heavy conference, um, like we've seen in the last few years over there. Yeah. And then, and then when you move out East, I think there's so much uncertainty because those States you look at, you know, New York, you look at, um, I, I have it written down here somewhere, New York and Massachusetts still have lockdowns on, you know, high contact team sports. Um, however, that's, you know, for high school and youth, but I mean, it's worth noting a lot of those, Northeastern states are, are a little more on lockdown than, than other states. In this yeah, it's it's unfortunate. I mean, especially when you talk about hockey, it's one of the most uh, prestigious hockey conferences um, in, in this sports history. Uh, it's just so unfortunate um, when I read that the whole state of Massachusetts, from from the peewee all the way up to, to professional, was – no hockey, complete lockdown. It, it's depressing to read that, um, to, to take it away from the, especially the, the, the kids who, who are just get them to do something. It's a pandemic. I mean, you know, I'm not trying to be political here. It's just unfortunate. I'm biased. I want to see hockey obviously, but to take it away from the kids, it's, I think that was very premature and just unfortunate. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty in hockey East. Unfortunately, we can't really report much on it um, until we find out that, you know, the, the essentially the States, New York and, and, and Massachusetts are going to uplift their lockdowns essentially and, and give the green light that says, yeah, go ahead and play. And even that, are we going to be too late to even get a season underway? Well, and, and I, I do want to add that is that is for the youth in the high school level. Oh, college, college and pro, pro are, could uh, play. College and pro oh, can okay. play. I must and have misread that. I I, I I I did read an article where there, there certainly is a lot of you know concern out there. But the good news is for ECAC, ECAC, and Hockey East is that those schools are so close together. You know, you're not you're not having to worry about jumping on a flight. You can take a two hour bus ride, and you know be to a lot of the different arenas. So I think that's going to be something that 
could be a, a good, a nice little factor. For, uh, yeah. For I mean, we kind of already knew the ECAC wasn't even going to start till January one. Anyways, uh, they made that very clear early on this year, um, which, you know, when you think about the ECAC, they already start late as it is. This is usually the month that they would have start normally in a regular, you know, non-pandemic season, um, about a month behind. So if, if they're starting January one, hopefully they are. And we already have hockey a month, month and a half already in the system. Um, it That's really no different for how the ECAC would have played out anyway. So it, that's a little bit – it's nice to see that there could be a little bit of, of – of normalness, if if I can even throw that out here, um, for the ECAC, um, for Hockey East and the ECAC, you just, we, I'm really hoping that they can get something going here, uh, schedule wise, and, and and just see all the hockey kind of conferences play this year. You know, if we go a year and one of these conferences or two of these conferences don't play this year, it's just gonna, it's just not going to be college hockey. Nope, agreed. Well, we've we've talked a lot about the different conferences and, uh, you know, a lot's gone on. But I think one thing we haven't talked about recently is, um, you know, the future, the future locations for um, the Frozen Four. They uh, they've released those dates or not dates, but um, the locations. And I think it's important to, you know, I think we should talk. Uh, about yeah. Um, and I think one of them, too, uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Las Vegas got the bid. Uh, for one of the upcoming years, which is, I think, I think that's a huge, I like it for Las Vegas. Um, cause it's, because it's different. I love it. Um, I, I think it could be a huge, huge game changer, especially when we're talking about getting more players out West, California, Arizona, um, you know, this, this would be a huge recruitment for ASU, um, but you know, all the other colleges in general that, you know, end up out in Las Vegas for the frozen four. Uh, so I love the fact that Vegas got the bid, um, for one, for one of these, uh, frozen four years. Yeah. So just to run it down, they have through 2026, which is when Vegas will be, uh, Pittsburgh, which is supposed to be last year. Pittsburgh will be this year, uh, Boston next year at the garden, then Tampa, Tampa, when they've hosted in the past, has been, you know, a very, very successful spot. Um, St. Paul, so, I mean, you can never go wrong, you know, in Minnesota. St. Louis and Las Vegas. So, I mean, you're getting some markets where I think hockey is starting to really, really grow. And doing this is only going to help it. And then on top of that, you know, who the hell doesn't, like, if you're from North Dakota, you're definitely going to jump at, you know, the opportunity to make it out to Vegas. Oh, oh, Tampa, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm making, a, I'm making the jump to Vegas next week. So, <laughs> um, but I mean, the only one that I think I kind of like, I didn't really cringe at I just, I guess I kind of like questioned it was Tampa, but just because we, they were just in Tampa not too long ago. So for me, I, it just would have been nice to see a different city that maybe hasn't had it in a long time or hasn't had it in all get that bid. Uh, but I mean, we've seen uh, great success in Tampa. Um, as far as the Frozen Four, they always have a very good turnout. Um, and it's not just for the schools that are playing. I've seen random jerseys of schools that didn't even make the tournament at all. So it's uh, Tampa Bay has always been successful. Um, like I said, or you know, a minute ago, I think Las Vegas is a huge win. Um, it really captivate the the you know the western side of this country as far as recruitment. We know hockey just keeps growing in California. Um, we're going to now have it in Seattle. Um, so to have the college 
ranks out there in the upcoming years. I think it's just going to be a, a huge, huge win for college hockey, but hockey in general. Um, one that I'm, I think I'm going to be more intrigued to, to see how it plays out, and I think I'm going to see if I can end up going to it at when, when and if I'm allowed ever to travel and get out of my house ever again, uh, is St. Louis. Um, St. Louis, because it's just it's such a baseball town, but you, you just had the St. Louis Blues win uh, two years ago, the Stanley Cup, uh, and then they got a great hockey team down. They're still going into this season. This past season, they were really good too. Um, so, I mean, they're developing into a little bit of a hockey town. Uh, obviously, they're, they'll never, I don't think, <laughs> overtake baseball. Um, but St. Louis has got a lot of good things going. And, I mean, you know, fun fact here for the people that don't know, um, you know, SLU used to have a hockey team back in the old CCHA. The Billikens used to be there um, many years ago, in the, and I believe it was the mid-'80s. So it's not like college hockey's well, never been in St. Louis before. And Lindenwood is there. Oh, yeah, so there we go. So, I mean, so it will be fun to see St. Louis. I mean, St. Louis in general with the baseball, you know, all the bar scenes and all that um, will be um, a a cool scenery and definitely a different change of pace a little bit. Um, So it will be cool to see if, especially if if I can get down there for that uh, time of the year. Like I said, hopefully I'm a lot out of my house at that point (laughs) when we get to St. Louis. I think that will be. Uh, I think it. I think it should pan out. I think there will be a lot of upside to, to it. But I mean, then again, Tony, I, I don't know if we've ever seen really a downside in, in years past with with the locations, have we? I mean, not the not off the top of my head. No, but I would say we do when it comes to regional. Well, yeah, but that's in its own um, world. There, when we we got our own take on that, especially when it comes to who's hosting that region, and they're not even remotely fucking close to it. <laughs> so, and and. And and I, I'm going to say it right now. I'm just going to give people an idea of who's hosting the next couple of years. Go go for it. <laughs> um, so the East Regional, Bridgeport, Connecticut, Sacred Heart, and Yale are the hosts. Um, Midwest Regional, Fargo, North yeah. Dakota. Makes sense. Northeast, uh, Manchester, New Hampshire, New Hampshire. No problem with that one. West, Loveland, Colorado, Denver. I've got no problem next year. Next year, Mm -hmm. all of them make sense. But then we get to the point where the the regions are Albany, New York. Yep. Okay. Worcester, Massachusetts. Okay, so you get you get the northeast Mm -hmm. and the east there. You have Loveland, Colorado. Make again makes sense. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with the West. You've got enough. Like Denver's good enough every year. And then Allentown, Pennsylvania, which is probably going to be the Midwest region. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, I was looking at the map. I know today. where you're going. I think I know Allentown is Allentown is almost due north of Philadelphia. What the it's hell? Essentially, like, three east and one west. <laughs> yeah, it makes no sense, especially when how dominant the NCHC has. And, you know, you look at when you rate the six conferences, you'd probably say. NCHC Hockey East Big yeah. Ten, right? Like to me, those are the well, three. Well, two two of them are Western Western. I and I mean when I say Western, I mean Western for yeah. the sake of hockey. So I mean, what what kind of boggles my mind is that how does the United Center in Chicago and Little Caesars Little Caesars Arena in Detroit not get? I mean, we Chicago not they were. 
frozen four location a couple of years ago. But how are these two especially not ever considered for a region? Okay, if you're at the United Center, especially going forward with U of I about to be a Division One program, you could fucking pick three schools that could be the host. Notre Dame, U of I, Wisconsin, all within an hour and a half of the United Center at least. And then you go to Detroit, you can pick between Michigan State, Michigan, shit, maybe Western. I mean, like, I, it's like it just boggles my mind that we're we're supposed to be the Midwest region in two very uh, well put together. I mean, Little Caesar Arena. I mean, I I mean, I'm not a Detroit Red Wing fan at all because I'm from Chicago, but I mean, I've heard and seen from just from on TV and pictures. They did a hell of a job with that arena. I mean, it's way better than going to the Joe. I'm sorry uh, for the people that are fans of the Joe. The Joe was, in my opinion, kind of a shithole when I went a couple times. But um, And then the United Center. I mean, I just don't understand how the NCAA can just keep continuously fucking this up. <laughs> We're talking about the Midwest region, and you have now three out in Pennsylvania, New Hampshire, wherever else you said – it, it, I no, I agree with you. I saw that, and I go, "This doesn't make." Yeah, I think you texted me, and I just kind of like laughed. I'm like, "I know where he's going to go with this." In the next text, I don't even have to answer because he's going to say the same thing. I, like, what the fuck? <laughs> Does it? I, I will say in 20, 2024, it is a little bit better. Um, Missouri has one, Maryland Heights, Missouri, which I'm assuming is probably a suburb of uh, mm-hmm. of St. Louis, Rhode Island. South Dakota. I'm okay with South mm-hmm. Dakota. You know, I mean, you look at you look at that upper Midwest is so great for hockey, especially when it comes to the USHL and then Springfield, Mass. So I'm, I'm okay with that. It's just, you know, if, if you're going to have Penn State as the host and you want to make it the Midwest, throw it in Pittsburgh. Yeah, no, I agree. And I mean, I, I know that there's no college hockey in, in Nashville, but why not consider Nashville? I, I just, I mean that the setup in general just screams success. Where the arena is on uh, in Nashville, you got all the all the country bars ten feet away. <laughs> the Nashville Predators have turned that that town into a hockey town. I, why is Nashville not considered? I, I don't get this. Like, I just don't get why why we keep repeating the same damn thing for a lot of these regions, or or why we're ma- while the NCAA is making poor life decisions and thinking, or not really thinking geographically how the where the fuck the Midwest is. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> I mean. It, it, yeah. I, there's just I, there's so much miss. There, there's so many good opportunities. I think they're missing on that are actually in the Midwest. I just, it doesn't make sense. And like, why are we going to have the same damn host every year? I mean, you never see Wisconsin become a host. I haven't seen Notre Dame become a host. Like, No, Wisconsin is for Tampa. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> because, because Madison is a short, uh, a short Uber trip from, from Tampa. Oh my Florida. God. I just, the decision making sometimes, but I mean, you said that was for the Frozen Four. That's a, I guess, a little different. I don't know how, but it's a little different. But I mean, when we're talking the regions, though, and the school that's hosting should be actually in that fucking region, or the region that that's supposed to be representing should the arena should be in that geographical location. I think that's where we're missing the ball here, and it's like 
like, how are we screwing this up in the Midwest? It's not like that there's only, like, one school in the Midwest that's playing. We got a lot of schools and a lot of big arenas from the professional level and down that can suffice. I mean, shit, played in Madison. Madison's a great arena to play at. Granted, yes, it's a home game for Wisconsin, but – that's a that's a good size arena. I mean, the shit if they're playing it at North Dakota, I'm not comparing the arenas. I mean, Wisconsin. I've never been to North Dakota's arena, so I should say that first. But um, Wisconsin is not your typical four thousand, five thousand seater. It's two levels. It's it's a it's basically like almost, from my opinion, a little bit of a step up from some of the AHL teams. <laughs> So oh, why not is. consider I mean, Madison the, the, as a the, region and just play it there? I mean, you should, if you're going to play it at North Dakota and they get the home, uh, if they're playing in that region, get the home uh, home ice advantage. Why not give it to Wisconsin? <laughs> you know, I'm I've always been all for you know throwing you know regional sites, honestly on home range. Yeah, I no, I agree. Because if let's, I'm I'm just going to look at one from next year. Like how how packed is you know Loveland, Colorado going to be? I couldn't even tell you where Loveland, Colorado is right now. <laughs> it's it's a it's a it's suburb okay. of Denver. So, um, but I mean, you know, you know what I no, mean? No, I agree. Or like a, a situation like Albany next year, out or in two thousand twenty-two, Albany is going to be a host. Like, okay, are you going to tell me that Albany is going to have that great of a turnout? that you couldn't have that if, you know, I'm going to use Western as an example because we're familiar, but Western's a good example because Lawson's one of the yeah. smaller arenas. No, I agree. No, I, 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 I agree. I mean, at some point you run it, you're going to run into an issue if we do this where certain teams are going to, are going to feel neglected, that they're never going to be the host, and that they feel neglected, that they can never get home ice advantage. So I, I'm not saying that it needs to be an every year thing, but why not rotate the schools that have the facilities that can suffice? I'm talking Notre Dame, Wisconsin, Boston College, Boston University. Uh, you know, the list can just keeps going on for the schools that can actually fit a good crowd. Um, you know, North Dakota, we already know about Minnesota Duluth, you know, the schools that can do it. You know, like you said, Western's never going to do it at Lawson. Fair State's never going to do it. They're too tiny. They'll never be able to do it. But, you know, if you throw the schools that can do it in the rotation and then maybe say like, okay, um, you know, Western, you get to host. We'll have it at Little Caesars Arena. Like, I don't understand how that's so fucking complicated. But yet the – Or even or even, or even K-Wings. K-Wings. Yeah, or Grand Rapids. Go up to the – Go up and play where the uh, Griffins play. It's a great arena. But why they they consistently kind of screw this up and say, okay, Penn State, you guys are the hosts of the Midwest, but you're going to do it out east. Like, what? <laughs> like, it just doesn't make sense. I, I mean, I'm, I, Tony, I know you and I are in agreement. I, I feel like a lot of people might agree too. And, and yeah, I mean, am I nitpicking? Yeah, a little bit, but it's it's just it doesn't make sense sometimes like and i feel like it's just they overcomplicate it and i know you and i have our opinions on the ncaa already so i won't get into that that could be a whole other podcast out itself but it it just it like what like i feel like they're missing great opportunities to expand college hockey 
Yeah, they they don't put a lot of effort into college hockey. No, I agree. That. I agree. And I think that's why you see a lot of dedication from not only the players, but also the coaching staff. I mean, when you talk to different coaches and you see it in their interviews, the passion they have not only for the program, but for the schools, I, I think it's second to none to some other sports. Um, and, and I think that's where I really get a good connection with, with watching college hockey. It's just they know that the, the NCAA – is not going to help fund and build hockey like they are going to do with football and basketball. So they take it upon themselves with the hockey conference commissioners and the athletic directors to build up the programs that the best they can do. It just, the the NCAA handcuffs them because they're making, I think, stupid decisions. (laughs) So, but like I said, that's, that could be another podcast on itself. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so I, I unless you have anything i want to end on a oh new okay segment. yeah no i'm good let's end it on this new segment i'm not prepared for this <laughs> I, no this i i came up with this as we were about to record and i was going to my oh, fridge boy. for a new beer <laughs> you know what i think you know we should you know maybe we should have a drink during these podcasts um uh and and drink something local Okay. So today, and we, you know, we got to give a shout out to these, you know, we got always Kalamazoo if we can, if we can drink yeah. some bells always, <laughs> but, um, you know, right now I'm drinking some Petticolis. It's a, it's a brewery down here in Dallas, in my opinion, the best brewery in Dallas. Um, I would say no free ads, but we don't get any ads, so we're not making no. any money doing this. Not yet. <laughs> um, it's, it, it's an Imperial IPA called the sit down. Or I'll sit you down. Oh, hello. Ten <laughs> percent. Oh shit, Tony's getting wasted <laughs> on the podcast. Ten <laughs> percent. It's it's a sixteen ounce can. Nice. Um, it's a great beer if you're ever in Dallas or anywhere, and you see Petticolis on tap. Velvet Hammer is a great choice. I'll probably drink that during a, a future podcast. Um, I also have a Pilsner called Bicycle Pump. Um, so great stuff. So Petticola, sit down or I'll sit well, you down. Well, Tony, I'll cheers to that. Um, I'm not drinking anything local to Chicago, but um, because we just talked about St. Louis being uh, 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 getting a bid in the upcoming years here, I'm actually drinking a Natty Light Strawberry Kiwi Seltzer here. Fucking delicious. I just got it this week. Uh, shout out to Natty Light and the Anheuser-Busch uh, Company down in St. Louis. Uh, cheers. You know, I guess I guess we don't need to be drinking something local. We just need to be drinking yeah. something and uh, give yeah. that company a shout out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, if I can relate it to college hockey, I'll do my best. And uh, and Anheuser Busch yeah, in so- St. Louis, we'll see you in a couple years. If hopefully I'm allowed out of my house. <laughs> there we go. Uh, but Tony, um, I think uh, that's all I got for uh, for this week in college hockey. Uh, you got anything else you want to cover here? No, nothing other than uh, I just watched our, our Western Michigan Bronco football team put up a 50-burger on the uh, Akron Zips to start out the season. Hit 58 points, won 58 to 13, so nice start for Tim yeah, Lester I saw, and his boys. I saw they so, covered, so I didn't make any money because I didn't put a bet, but I saw they covered. <laughs> I wouldn't have either. Last year they were so bad on the road. <laughs> we'll that... see if Andy Murray can maybe put up not a 50-burger in hockey, but we'll see if he can put up something in, in, uh, in a few weeks here for – the Broncos as they start their NCHC season. 
Uh, but Tony, I think that wraps it up here. Uh, we'll we'll be back here, I guess, in a couple of weeks, uh, and we're gonna really get this thing finally getting going here. I'm excited to finally be back college hockey. We're gonna be back each week like we were last year. Get our weekly regimen going on here. I gotta buy more alcohol. Apparently, it sounds like, <laughs> um, and, and I'm I'm happy to be back talking college hockey with you. Love favorite it. Favorite time, time of, the year. of the year. Alrighty, man. I guess that means classes. To-